Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. And right now is no exception. We've heard you listeners and know you're counting on us to keep the baking conversation going strong, even in uncertain times. So that's what we intend to do. Today, we're reviewing our chocolate chai kefir cake and introducing a heritage lemon sour cream pie that really fits our month's theme down to a T for tangy. Then we'll fill you in on how to make your own homemade sour cream, buttermilk, and creme fraiche. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet and sour talk. Stefan, on the last Sunday in March, we had our first ever virtual bake-along on our Facebook listeners group. It was so exciting. I am just in awe of our Facebook community. I know. We have such great listeners, and they do a really excellent job documenting their work. So just wanted to give a quick shout out to a few people. First of all, huge thanks to listener Jesse and listener Rebecca, who conceived of and organized the virtual bake along. So I doubt that it would have happened without either of them. So thank you very much, ladies. I know they were so enthusiastic and just kind of rallied everybody and so many people turned out. There were a lot of really good bakes. We do not have time to name them all, but here's just a few that grabbed my eye. Laura made a delicious-looking cranberry banana bread. Sheila made a grandma's depression cake. And, of course, all of us these days are loving anything that's got a depression cake name or depression pie name in the title because we're all watching our ingredients so carefully. Exactly. And then Rebecca made something called an ugly cake, which I commented I did not think was ugly, but she claimed the baked product was ugly. I thought it looked really delicious. You know, that's not a genre I was familiar with. I was wondering if it's because it falls into that category of like the dump cake or something like that, where it's just kind of thrown everything thrown in there, come what may. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I thought the top when it was done almost looked a little bit more like a funnel cake, but I had not heard of calling it an ugly cake before. So yeah, I thought neither. that was really fun. Well, down in Florida, Ruth is loving the strawberry harvest just coming in now. And she was busy making a strawberry jalapeno jam and posted absolutely gorgeous pictures of all of those berries. Mm. Tracy did a sugar cream pie, and I yes. think that probably falls into our heritage pie category as well. Yes. Kate did fennel seed and chili crackers. Kate's here in London as well. And then hats off to Amy with her first ever attempt at croissants. And including a picture of the butter block always makes my day better. (laughs) I have to tell you, I was checking Facebook every couple of hours to get the progress on those croissants. I almost felt like I was making them myself. (laughs) Watching her blow by blow. Yeah, it was so fun. Well, Andrea, this is our sweet and sour month of April, and we are baking up desserts all month long that use tangy ingredients like sour cream and yogurt and buttermilk. And I was very interested to see when I started looking through our archives, we've been baking with these from the very start. No surprise. Uh, These ingredients add moistness. They add flavor. 
from the very beginning in episode one, when we made our pumpkin spice buttermilk cake, it used buttermilk and cream cheese. We did our cold chocolate snacking cake in episode three, and that uses sour cream. In episode 24, we had those yogurt biscuits from Mark Bittman. The award-winning moist chocolate cake from episode 61.5 used buttermilk and remains a firm favorite in this family. The huge Texas sheet cake from episode 28.5 has sour cream in it. Andrea, here's one that regularly is called out when folks are new to our show, and that is the roasted strawberry buttermilk ice cream from episode 30, and no surprise there, it uses buttermilk. The sugar cookie bars we made back in episode 44 have a cream cheese frosting. Prince Harry's favorite caramel banana cake from episode 77 uses sour cream. Prince Harry's favorite and Stefan's favorite too, if I recall. So true. (laughs) So true. Finally, the semifredo we made in episode 84 that used creme fraiche. So I thought that was a really lovely reminder that we have been using these ingredients all along. And this week, of course, we introduced a new ingredient to bake with. We put some milk kefir into our chocolate chai kefir cake. This was from author Sarah Cook and was reprinted in Olive Magazine. Andrea, we kicked this off last week. I was going to buy professionally produced kefir, which you can find in the dairy section at most large grocery stores. But you, my friend, are regularly making this. Did you make your own kefir for this cake? And how did you find it when all was said and done? Yeah, I did make my own kefir. I usually have it going. And so I was able to use my own kefir. And I think it worked just fine. Great. I've never compared it side by side with the kind you can buy in the grocery store. But Mm. I get that sort of drinkable yogurt feeling when I taste it. So I feel like I'm doing it correctly. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I had never purchased it or drank it before. And I thought drinkable yogurt was a very good description. Also, just like a thick buttermilk. And Mm -hmm. we had talked last week when we introduced this that if you didn't have kefir, you could substitute either that buttermilk, a runny yogurt, even a thinner sour cream. Yeah, definitely. Some other ingredients on this list that are near and dear to my heart, starting out with the dark chocolate. That's, of course, my favorite type of chocolate (laughs) is dark chocolate, so I was really happy that's a primary ingredient here. Plain flour or all-purpose flour, cocoa powder, baking powder, bicarbonate of soda or baking soda, as I would say it. That's right. And then the spices, the ground cinnamon, ginger, cardamom, and cloves. So those are the dry ingredients that are going to go into the cake. Yeah, and what you have done there is melt your chocolate over a double boiler, and that is fairly easy to do over a pan of simmering water. You break up your chocolate and melt that slowly. You can also do that in short bursts in the microwave if you have a microwave. I did that over the boiling water. It works just fine. So you have your melted chocolate, you've got your dry ingredients, and then you whisk in your kefir, eggs, vanilla, and that chocolate, beating together your sugar and butter, You've got everything there, and then you add that kind of magical ingredient of the 150 mils of just boiled water. Put that all together. It's nice, glossy, a very smooth batter. Put that in your prepared 23-inch cake tin. Now, Andrea, there was a bit of a controversy (laughs) last week about if that was an 8 or a 9, and I did a little research. You were right. It's a 9. I was so excited when I saw the show sheets for the episode, and in black and white, you wrote, Andrea was right. I I wanted to bold it and make it highlighted or something. I don't hear that often, so it was very exciting for me. You bake that off for about 45 to 55 minutes until no crumbs, your skewer is clean, and then 
cool and remove to finish cooling completely. Andrea, I had absolutely no problems with any of these steps, with any of the ingredients. I had my beautiful cake in about 50 minutes in my fan oven. How did yours turn out to this point? Pretty good so far. A couple of things I did that I wanted to point out. First of all, I split the recipe in half because it's just me and my husband and my daughter here at home in quarantine and we're not getting out and about and going to the type of events where I would normally bring something like a cake. So I thought it would be right. wise to make a smaller portion. So I used a six-inch cake pan. Okay. And then I had enough left over to make two regular size cupcakes as well. Yum. Excellent. A couple of things on the ingredients. So for the dark chocolate, I used that Calbo brand. I think that's from Belgian. They sell it in the bulk section of the grocery store. Mm. And that's not a brand that I use a lot. And I have to say, I tried it a little bit before I put it in the cake, and I thought it was quite good. Nice. I think that was a good choice that I made there. The other thing that I wanted to point out that I did a little bit differently was I was nervous about mixing together the eggs in with the melted chocolate, because we've talked before about eggs curdling if they hit something that's too hot. I did a little bit of that tempering where I took the melted chocolate and put a bit of it into the mixture of the kefir and the eggs first before, you know, I mixed it all together. So everything did come together well. I used my KitchenAid stand mixer. It did turn into a really smooth and glossy batter. Mm -hmm. I used Baker's Joy in my six-inch tin, and then in my cupcakes, I used cupcake liners. The cake just baked up beautifully. It needed 40 minutes for the six-inch cake and 25 minutes for those two cupcakes before they were both done. And then in the final instruction is about the frosting, which is just the most delightful frosting directions you could find. Yeah. For a saucy finish, <laughs> ice just before serving. But if you don't mind an icing mat and set, you can do it as soon as the cake is cool. That's what I did, Andrea, and it really firmed up into a very nice yes thick layer of ganache. I mean, that's essentially all that frosting is. Dark chocolate, whipping cream, and a little bit of Lyle's golden syrup. One tablespoon, that's it. I thought it was still very beautiful, even if it wasn't glossy or saucy. It was absolutely beautiful. So you have this kind of towering, even though it's only a one layer, it was quite a tall cake. Mm -hmm. Chocolate on chocolate, really, really pretty. And then that's where things went south for me. Yeah, and this is where <laughs> things went south for me too. I also frosted mine and then let it set. So it was glossy when I took my photo, but you know, a few hours later it wasn't, but I still thought it was quite pretty. Yeah. I first took a bite myself and Stefan, I so wanted to like this cake. I know. Longtime listeners know I'm a huge fan of dark chocolate and I'm also a huge fan of cardamom. And so when I saw this recipe, I was so excited because I thought, oh, I've never seen those two together. Yes. Well, now I know why. <laughs> Something yeah. about that combination is mm, just, it just didn't work for me. Yeah. And I thought to myself, okay, maybe it's me. So I gave a slice to my husband and he took a bite of it and you could see sort of that slow chewing and what I call the wrinkled nose response, you know, where they're just sort of wrinkling their face up. Oh, yeah. And I said, what do you think? And he said, is there something floral in this? 
And so that was his impression of the cardamom, I think. And then yeah, with my daughter, she took a one bite, pushed it away from me, and she said, did you put carrots in that? And I think, again, carrots. it wasn't that it tasted like carrots. I just think it was one of those situations where she couldn't identify what it was. And all three of us agreed it didn't belong in chocolate cake. No, we had exactly the same reaction here. And you've called this out before what you call the bait and switch. So here's this absolutely yeah. gorgeous chocolate cake. And then you take a bite and the flavor is just wrong. Yes. And although I'm not a huge chai latte fan, I am a fan of every single one of those spices mm -hmm. in almost any other application. But I don't care for it with the chocolate. I yeah. don't think it worked. I don't either. I set this cake aside for a few days after we had such a tepid response in the family. I think the spices mellowed. I tasted them less. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, while I would make this chocolate cake again, I would just skip those four spices. And I think you would have a nice, mm -hmm. moist, delicious chocolate cake. You don't need to put the chai spice in. Yeah, I also found the texture of the cake a bit dry. Oh. When I looked at the recipe, I felt like, you know, there was no oil in it. And of course, there doesn't have to be oil in a cake. There is butter. Yeah. And there there is the moisture from the kefir and the eggs. But I'm thinking maybe just my palate. I tend to like oil in a cake more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just found it a little bit too crummy. You know, thank goodness for that ganache. It kind of held things together. But yeah, I think I'm going to tuck this one away and look for chai in other things, but not in my chocolate cake. Agreed. Well, let's hope that this next week is more of a win. And Andrea, I just kind of think it's going to be. Yeah, you are talking about our lemon sour cream pie. And that comes from the food blog, Taste Better from Scratch. Uh, Stefan, I think you found this one, yes? Yeah, and you might remember we have done a recipe from this blog before. We did her pumpkin cookie with caramel frosting, and that was in episode 97.5 during our aptly titled Pumpkin Palooza Month. That's right. And in fact, I gave that my blue ribbon in October of 2018. So yeah, we thought we'd turn to her again for this lemon sour cream pie. I'm excited and nervous about making this. Longtime listeners know that I'm a huge fan of lemon, so it might mm -hmm. surprise people to hear that I do not make lemon pies on the regular. That's true. And that is because that has always been my mother's job. So one of my mom's favorite pies to make and one of the ones she was most accomplished with was the classic lemon meringue pie. And Yum. since that was so firmly in her domain, I never really intruded. Yeah. Some listeners who are friends with me might know that my dear sweet mother passed away at the end of March. And so this is going to be one of my first bakes that I think is going to bring back a lot of memories. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm a little bit nervous about it. But yes. I'm confident that she will be guiding my hand when I make this one. I know that she'll be pulling for you. And it's a really special thing to make something that was so important in someone's life. Yes, absolutely. Let's take a look at the ingredients because one thing that I want to point out that's a little bit sneaky is the very first ingredient is one nine-inch homemade pie crust baked and cooled. <laughs> so if you can get this from the grocery, you're certainly welcome to. If you can buy pre-made pie crust, you're certainly welcome to. Yep. Otherwise, there is a link here with a recipe to the homemade pie crust. And when I saw this, what went through my head was, uh, the dreaded blind bake. <laughs> I know. And you know, for all of the 
pies we have done over the years, I still probably am only averaging a 75% success rate with blind baking. I think 75% would be high for me. Every time I go to do it, okay, I read different instructions from a different person. I've tried chilling my crust. I've tried freezing my crust. Yep. I let the crust overhang by more than usual. Yep. I think for this particular one, I am going to try a new technique I saw from Sally's Baking Addiction. Okay. Where she cuts strips of pie crust and sort of lays them around the edges. So I'll include a link to that in the show notes. I'm planning on trying it. Hopefully next week I will have some blind bake success. And listeners, if you don't know what blind baking a pie crust means, it simply means that you are baking the pie crust fully before you add the filling. And you often see this with a cream pie, a lemon meringue pie as we're making this week, when you are not baking the crust and the filling together. The tricky challenge, as Andrea just alluded, is often the sides will slump down or they will somehow kind of collapse in on themselves. That's what always happens to me. I find I have the best results when I chill the dough in the pie tin and then I use listener Andrea's excellent tip. You line the dough with either parchment or tinfoil and then you put sugar to fill up and hold those sides back. So I will report next week too if that worked for me. Yeah, I don't get the side slumping. I get the shrinkage. So that is <laughs> yep, that is right. something I'm trying right. to overcome. I know. So that's a good challenge there for all of our listeners. And I look forward to hearing from them how they did on the blind bake. Speaking, though, then of what goes in that pie crust once you're done is that lemon sour cream filling. So that is a cup of granulated sugar, some cornstarch, a cup of milk, a half a cup of fresh lemon juice, and it says that's about two to three lemons. Mm -hmm. I love recipes that tell you the actual measurement and not just the number of fruits that you might need. Yep. Three large egg yolks, a quarter cup of butter, the zest of a lemon, and then one cup of the sour cream. So one very important thing is look down. You just heard that you need the zest of one lemon Zest your lemon before you juice them because if you forget to do them, it's so hard. Have you ever tried to zest a lemon that you've already juiced? It's like really flabby. It just does not work. (laughs) Even worse, have you ever tried to zest a lemon that you've already juiced and thrown into your compost pile? So then you have to pick it out. You have to somehow remove the coffee grounds and then try to zest it. I received a shipment from my mother-in-law of lemons from her lemon tree. So I am so set on this one. So jealous. My husband just went to town and he squoze, squoze, squeezed. (laughs) He got got all of the juice. I wish it was squoze. That feels like a word to me. I'm going to use it. Okay. He squoze all the lemons. (laughs) And so I just have block upon block of lemon juice. I froze all of that lemon juice in those I call them whiskey cube. I'm sure you could use them for all sorts of things. But they're those really big ice cube trays, those silicone trays. Yes. And so I have probably, I don't know, 30 blocks of fresh lemon juice. And each block is about a quarter cup. I'll be hauling out a few of those. And then I also zested probably about 12 of the lemons that day. That was all I could do. My fingers were just starting to get exhausted. And all those tiny little cuts on my fingers were screaming. I'm all set to go on the lemon side of things. And of course, the other ingredients, luckily, I have those on hand. So I won't have any difficulty getting those. So I'm pretty excited about this. And you know, Andrea, one change that I know I'm going to make right away in this era of waste not, want not 
using three large egg yolks in the filling, I'm going to take my three large egg whites and I'm going to do a meringue topping as opposed to a whipped cream topping. I like a meringue topping. I think this pie is sweet enough to hold up to meringue as opposed to a sweetened whipped cream. That's what I plan to do. That's obviously more traditional for a lemon meringue pie as well. I think I'm going to plan on doing that as well because, again, I just normally would save those egg whites. Sometimes my dog might benefit from them, but these days eggs feel precious. And so I want to make use of those three whole eggs, and I think that's a good idea. So I will follow suit with you on that one as well. All right. So super excited to try this new and tangy twist on the lemon cream pie, a lemon sour cream pie from Lauren Allen over at Tastes Better From Scratch. Bake along with us and let us know how it goes for you. We will post this recipe in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 172 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook listeners group. Stefan, all month long, we're talking about how to DIY some of the dairy-based ingredients that we're working with during this sweet and sour month. Last week in episode 171, we talked about kefir, which is a fermented milk or a water-based beverage used in the chocolate chai cake. And this week, we've got a trifecta of homemade tanginess, sour cream, buttermilk, and creme fraiche. That's right. It's easy to forget that these ingredients, which are usually very available on grocery store shelves, can be easily made at home, and not just when you're halfway through a recipe and realize you've run out. Yeah, it's always good to have an emergency fix up your sleeves, but it's also nice to plan ahead and make these in advance when you might need them. Let's start with arguably the easiest of the three, buttermilk. Buttermilk is almost ridiculously easy to make at home. It's just milk and acid. You stir lemon juice or white vinegar, though I have used apple cider vinegar in a pinch and thought it was fine. Into milk, wait a few minutes, and there you have it. The fattier your milk to start with, the creamier your finished product will be, though it will probably never get as thick as commercially prepared buttermilk. The easy ratio is to add one tablespoon of acid to a one cup measure and then pour in enough milk to top it up. Making your own can be so nice if you have a recipe that calls for a small amount of buttermilk and you don't want to buy a big carton that might go bad before you can use it all. My husband and I have an ongoing debate about DIY buttermilk. (laughs) He loves making buttermilk pancakes, but often has to make a special trip to the store to buy the key ingredient. I'm forever telling him, just mix some lemon juice into the regular milk. But he insists it's not the same. And okay, I'll admit it, he's right. Commercially prepared buttermilk has been cultured, similar to yogurt. It's been infused with healthy bacteria that help it thicken and produce that classic flavor. But I maintain that in a pinch, the homemade version is just as good. Well, speaking of husbands, next up is one of my husband's favorite ingredients and the one that inspired this entire theme month, sour cream. We're going to use it next week in our bake-along, that lemon sour cream pie, which you just heard us talk about. But how do we go about making our own? Well, remember Gemma over at Bigger Boulder Baking? She did that terrific tiramisu during Italian month. How could I forget? Gemma says it's as easy as three ingredients and a jar. Sounds a little like kefir so far. You're not far wrong. The basic ingredients for sour cream are heavy cream, an acid like lemon juice or vinegar, and milk. You mix them all in a glass jar, cover, and leave overnight at room temp. The dairy solids will thicken and voila, you'll have homemade sour cream. We love our kitchen chemistry. (laughs) One step beyond sour cream is creme fraiche. It's like a thicker, tangier sour cream. 
This is a very popular ingredient in Europe, and it's definitely becoming more commonplace on U.S. grocery shelves, but we've heard from many listeners that it still can be tricky to source, so making it yourself is a great option. Creme fraiche is essentially fermented cream, and it uses cultured buttermilk to provide the good bacteria that do the job. Like the other DIYs we've talked about this week, you just mix the ingredients, in this case cream and cultured buttermilk, cover, and let stand for about 12 hours. Now, Stefan, am I right that you wouldn't want to use a homemade buttermilk to make the homemade creme fraiche since you need to rely on a cultured version? That's what helps the good bacteria grow, but crucially also stops the bad bacteria in its tracks? That's right. I love that all of these DIYs fit into one of our ongoing preheated baking resolutions to waste not, want not, because you could whip them up with small amounts of leftovers you have knocking about your fridge. And the best kind of leftovers are the ones that completely transform themselves into something more than the sum of their parts. Listeners, let us know if you try any or all of this week's homemade dairy products. Drop us a line at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com, leave us a voicemail at 802-276-0788, or post in our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and next week we'll see if lemon sour cream pie was the best of all sweet and sour worlds, and introduce a donut loaf from a cookbook popular with preheaters. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Speaking of reviews, I'd like to read a snippet from a lovely email we just got from listener Deanna. And she writes, shout out from a longtime mediocre baker from Rhode Island. (laughs) I grew up watching Julia Child and baking with my grandmother and great aunts. I adore the way you two laugh together and that you reveal your mishaps as well as your successes. I love that you aren't perfect and sometimes things don't turn out because you took a shortcut or misread something. That is the story of my baking life. And she just goes on to wish us well and, you know, see how we're doing. And then she puts, P.S. I was on quarantine for a couple of weeks due to a case in my school. Thankfully, no illness. Mm. I live with my 82-year-old dad and moving forward, we are staying in for the duration. During my quarantine, we stayed apart, but from another room, I coached him through his first ever attempt to make bread. After a lot of laughs and some YouTube videos, he produced a gorgeous bakery-quality, no-need peasant loaf, and I now have another lovely memory to add to a lifetime of beautiful memories with him. Oh, what a beautiful email. And Deanna, thank you so much for taking the time. I have to say, Andrea, we've received so many lovely emails and notes of support and encouragement and it really is just absolutely heartwarming thank you it really is yes thank you deanna until next time i'm andrea ballard in olympia washington and i'm stefan cohn in london our thoughts are with you and your families and your loved ones we hope our show has provided a bit of respite when you've needed it most thanks for listening be well and sweet dreams
Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. It was so exciting when I saw the shows. It was so exciting when I saw the shows. <laughs> you are excited. <laughs> I want to be excited about this, but apparently I can't say it.